Author of Hidden History, Crimes and Cover-Ups in American Politics, 1776 to 1963, and Survival of the Richest, Donald Jeffries separates the real from the unreal. Fact from fiction. Fact from fiction. Reverse engineering our manufactured reality. And now, from just outside the swamp-infested Washington, D.C., this is I Protest with Donald Jeffries. And welcome to I Protest. I'm Donald Jeffries. My guest today is someone I'm very excited to have, uh, documentary filmmaker Max Good. has made lots of fascinating films. Uh, Goodbye Old School, Occupy the Farm, Dry Season, Perpetual Ed, Vigilante, Vigilante. But his most recent one, and the one we're going to be discussing, and it's obviously, it's obvious why, if you listen to me regularly, you know about my longtime uh, research into the JFK assassination. It's called The Assassination and Mrs. Payne. And it concentrates on Ruth Payne, and we'll talk a lot about her and her connection to Lee Harvey Oswald and uh, Max, I'm so excited to have you on the show. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, great to be here. Uh, I'm really happy to talk about my new film. Great. Well, yeah, we want to. We're going to show some clips of it later uh, when Tony gets back. But uh, so basically, I looked at your other. I've seen them, but I was just looking at the titles of it and everything. How, how did you come to? Uh, did you have an interest in the JFK assassination before this? What made you take on something like not only the JFK assassination, but really a, a kind of a minute, a minutia rather, that uh, someone like me, for instance, is interested in, because I've been, I've been searching the JFK assassination since I worked as a teenage volunteer for Mark Lane, Assistance Committee of Inquiry, but uh, to the average person, they're not familiar with Ruth Payne. What made you pick Ruth Payne out to make a documentary about? So I, I was somewhat familiar with the JFK assassination. Uh, I, I'd read a, a book or two but uh, I came across the story of Ruth Payne uh, and her husband, Michael Payne, in JFK and the Unspeakable by James Douglas. Yes. And I had never heard of the Paynes before. Um, and I, I was just uh, amazed at the, uh, the suspicions and, the, you know, the intrigue around them. Uh, and it, it seemed like a, a whole new window on the assassination. Um, I, I was still a, a novice to the case at that point, trying to figure out what I thought. And uh, so I just thought the, the, the pains, if, if they're still alive, somebody's got to go talk to these people, find, get to the bottom of this story. I mean, people suspect it, that, that Ruth Payne was actually directly involved in helping to frame Oswald. And, uh, you know, she's got these family connections to the intelligence community and uh, makes a lot of people wonder. So uh, I, I then found out that she was living in a retirement home just about an hour away from where I lived. So I, uh, mm -hmm. I, I reached out to her and started, uh, you know, developing a relationship with her. Well, it's it's a fascinating film, and you're very um, you're even-handed. I mean, I I think I can determine basically where you probably stand. I think anybody that looks into this is, is suspicious about uh, you know, Ruth Payne's background and just the kid. And I think you know for the audience, I mean, many of the people will understand who Ruth Payne is, but and 
I don't remember exactly if you how much you went into it with her, and you did a great job with her because she's very suspicious, and she usually has not been this trusting. Good for you, and you you were very fair to her, I think, but uh, she still comes off looking, you know, I I, I think suspicious in some light, but. Uh, Ruth was basically, as you, you mentioned about framing Lee Harvey Oswald, but a lot of us think she was um, the handler, at least for Marina Oswald, maybe for Lee as well. And George D. Mornschild's kind of in there too, maybe Lee Harvey Oswald's training. We don't know. But these are people that had interesting connections. And uh, I, I don't see how you can innocently explain that. That living arrangement, for instance, I don't remember if you asked her directly about it, but I've interviewed Buell Wesley Frazier. Who's, pro uh, who's probably the only other one still alive, besides Ruth Payne, that was really in that inner circle of the people around Oswald, uh, still living. And he agreed with me. I said, didn't you find that uh, arrangement strange? I mean, here we're told that Lee Harvey Oswald was barely, he was minimum wage guy. His wife wasn't working and they had a, a small child, a new baby on the way. How, how did she, or did you even ask her? I don't think you did, but what what was that living arrangement like where you did exactly you asked her at one point uh about why didn't he live there during the week because and she said i think that he was never asked to and it was a small house well my response would have been well it wasn't too small for him on the weekend i mean that was just a strange situation that with no money he was paying for a room and you know setting up visions of cutouts you know intelligence cutouts did you go into that more with her off the air other than the question you asked her about that um well there are a lot of strange things around the whole the whole relationship with the pains uh i don't know if i asked her more about that i i sort of accepted her answer i i get i got the feeling that she she didn't like oswald that much uh and also, she says that you know Marina no. <laughs> and Lee were, were having some some marital marital difficulties at that time, so that could be a reason that he wasn't living there full time. Um, but yeah, he spent the weekends there at Ruth Payne's house, and uh, you know most of their belongings are stored there in the garage. Um, and Michael Payne moved out of the house. Uh, right before Marina moved in. So uh, it was a kind of a strange arrangement they had. Yeah, very fortuitous. It is, it, it, it certainly, and I, I don't know if you've read, uh, but Michael Ed, Edow, uh, I don't know if you've read anything, but he, he was the one that was responsible uh, for getting Oswald's body exhumed in uh, 1981. But he published a lot of uh, letters between Ruth Payne and uh, Marina Oswald. And I, I'm sure it would have been hard to go there with her, but you can get you can get the impression that maybe Ruth was attracted to Marina, to put it mildly. I did, did, was there any indication? I know it would have been difficult that question to ask her, but there are letters out there that kind of hint at that. I mean, they're, they're, they're kind of strange. Yeah, I, I read some of the correspondence between Ruth and Marina, but but not all of it. And I've I've heard the rumors. There are, you know, rumors that there was some love interest or some relationship between them. I I never broached that topic. I just I didn't think it was it was really appropriate or or that relevant to the to the bigger, more serious history uh that we're talking about here. Um who knows? I, I do know 
uh, Ruth Payne had a boyfriend at the time I was uh, interviewing her. Hello? Am I the only one left here? Yeah, Max, are you there? Looks like you Hello? got kicked Hi. out of the stream, Don. We're back yeah, in. I, no, did you hear my question? Uh, no, you disappeared. What was your last question? Oh, yeah. I don't know what's going on here. Uh, yeah, no, I said when you first made the, when you first wanted to make this documentary, your first approach was pain. Uh, did you she initially like put off? Did she, did she, I mean, did, did it take you a while to earn her trust? Because she's been very suspicious in the past. I, I mean, you, you, I assume you told her, hey, I want to make a documentary about you. How, what was her reaction to that? Yeah, well, I, at the time, I was a grad student uh, studying documentary. I was getting an MFA. So I approached her and said, you know, I'm, I'm a student. I'm, I'm making this short film. And, you know, I, I read about your story and I read about the suspicions and I, you know, want to come to some of this and you know tell your story uh i i tried to go into it with with an open mind and you know i, I wasn't sure what i thought about ruth um and i you know she she's actually very open she's talked to many researchers she's talked to david talbot she's trust talked to Russ Baker and, and other people. Um, but uh, yeah, I as far as I know, I, I got her to sit down for the most extensive interviews she's ever done. And, you know, nobody's really asked her these questions on camera directly about the suspicions. Uh, there was a short film made about her in 2013. I think it was, you know, a local Dallas thing that might've been on their, their PBS station, but, uh, I don't think they even brought up the suspicions at all in that film. So yeah, I, yeah. Ruth, I, I, I wanted to be fair to Ruth and I, I think she understood that. Uh, and, um, you know, she, she could tell that I was, I was interested in the case and I was, I was going to give her a chance to tell her story. Well, I was surprised by uh, Michael Payne being on camera, uh, you know, he's since died, but uh, he was very, you know, very adamant about, you know, that Oswald did it when in the past he kind of made some, some cryptic remarks, you know, years ago. But uh, how many times did you talk to Michael Payne besides what you captured on camera? That was the only time I got to talk to Michael Payne. He, he was losing his memory and I could already tell that he's, he wasn't all there. Uh, he, he got a little, confused at times so i i didn't push it and uh he he passed away uh while i was still making the film in 2018 so uh yeah i, I didn't get much from michael um and uh 
I, I've I've heard that he's he's said conflicting things in the past. I, I haven't seen yeah. seen it all myself. Yeah. Well, you know, there's that that's that phone call that was referenced uh, early on in the record between uh, supposedly that they they tapped the pain phone, and uh, supposedly he and Ruth are talking, and he says something that we both know. He, we both know who's responsible for it or something like that. It wasn't Oswald, basically, is the implication. I don't know if you've heard of that or not before. It's a very interesting conversation, though. Yeah, so this is this is one of the big suspicions on the Paynes is there's a uh, FBI report of a, some informant who was listening in on their conversation on the, the day of the assassination, and uh, they reported that Michael said that uh, Oswald did it, but he's not the one who's responsible. We both know who is responsible. Um, yeah. And, you know, a lot of people have wondered what, what the meaning of that is uh, and, and why their phone would could be tapped uh, so soon. This, this is, uh, you know, very soon after the assassination, uh, you know, around... 1, 1 p.m., 2 p.m., like before Oswald's even, you know, apprehended or anything. Uh, and um, yeah, uh, Ruth, Ruth has, Ruth sort of admitted that they had that conversation. And she says that uh, they were, they thought that it was a right wing conspiracy. Uh, that's, that's her explanation. Um, you know, how their phone was tapped at that point or what, what they were really talking about, you know, you can, you can speculate. Exactly. Did you, did you, and again, I understand that you had to kind of tiptoe carefully around some of this stuff, but I'm sure you know about this, that uh, early on, Ruth had marked on her calendar, uh, LHO rifle, or basically she marked down the date that Oswald purchased the rifle. It, Seems a very curious thing for someone in her position to do. Did you off camera maybe ask her about that, or you just didn't go there? I asked her about that on camera, and oh, I, oh, I missed that. I, I don't know how I missed that. Okay, sorry. It got it got oh, cut okay, from okay. the movie. It's not, yeah. Okay. But I I do I did film that, and uh, she um, she says that she heard on. November 23rd, I believe, she, the, on TV, uh, the police chief, Curry, saying that uh, that Oswald purchased the gun on March 20th or something. And uh, so that she she was sort of keeping track of of the, the timeline in her date book. So she wrote in there, LHO, purchase of rifle. But the, the whole thing is confused because she she wrote the October 23rd next to that with a star, but she says yeah. she actually meant to write November 23rd. Um, it's it's very confusing, <laughs> yeah. but I I tracked down that footage of Curry say, saying that on November 23rd. So that 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 is a uh, a feasible story she has that that she could have heard that on on TV. Yeah, well, and, and I'm sure I don't know how much you researched uh, Ruth Payne beyond this, but I mean, they, uh, when she was in, uh, she became an activist later, uh, uh, 
basically uh, during the Sandinista uh, thing and uh, in uh, Nicaragua, and uh, there were people were so suspicious of her there that they, they she basically was drummed out of this group she was in because everybody she was constantly taking notes and acting kind of acting like she was reporting for somebody. And they basically I don't know if you've heard that story or not. She basically had to leave, and then she went to another group where same thing happened. Did you know any of that, or did you ask her anything about that? Yeah, I, I asked about that. That There's a little bit of that in the movie. Um, it's about okay. Ruth Payne's work in Nicaragua in the mm -hmm. late 80s, early 90s, uh, you know, sort of Iran-Contra era with the Sandinistas. And uh, yeah, the, you know, these sort of Quaker Christian peace groups that were working in Nicaragua at the time were were aligned with the with the Sandinistas and uh they some of these people suspected that Ruth was down there surveilling them or sort of infiltrating their group uh possibly informing on the the, the Sandinista uh people that they were working with um my understanding is that some of those people were suspicious of her before they knew her connection to the assassination. That's that's the story I was told. Um, and there there are two people in the film who who talk about this. Uh, one of them is Sue Wheaton, who was yes, down yeah. there. He, she was down there in Nicaragua with Ruth, and she was she was the one who sort of realized Ruth. Ruth had this connection to the assassination also. Yeah, she was like the, the her probably the toughest critic on camera. And uh, when, how about her sister? Now, Ruth, Ruth's sister is the one, obviously, that, that was supposedly a psychologist associated with CIA or something. And uh, she, you tried to contact her, even though her sister was talking to you, she wouldn't talk to you at all. Yeah, I, I reached her sister on the phone. Uh, she was 90 years old at the time. And, okay. uh, you know, I asked her if she would talk at all about her, you know, answer any questions about about Ruth and, you know, her 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 employment with the CIA. Um, and she just pretty much refused and, and hung up. Um, yeah, her sister is is basically a, a acknowledged uh, CIA employee, um, you know, the, yeah. the extent of what she did and how long she worked there. That's, that's not totally for sure, but, um, it's, it's accepted that her, her sister did work for the CIA, uh, at a certain point in the, in the fifties and sixties, probably. Well, I, I like the way you got Ruth on camera to basically admit that, uh, you, when you kind of looked at these connections, her father worked at the uh, Agency for International Development, which has long been associated with the CIA. So she had these connections swirling around her, her sister too. And how did she put it? She said something like, well, I can understand that or something like she basically said she could understand why people would look at it that way. Didn't she? Something to that effect? Yeah, that I, that is one of the... <laughs> The, the most interesting statement she made in the movie. I'm glad you've noticed that. Uh, I, I said, do you see why people take these uh, connections as being right. suspicious? And she said, yeah, 
Sure. Um, so yeah, there there is there's reason to be suspicious here. It's not like uh, people are making these these accusations up out of thin air. You know, her her sister was CIA. Her father worked for USAID, and also we know he was at least recruited by the CIA for for an assignment in Vietnam. Um, and he, but he was he wasn't used. Uh, and that's only from you know the one document we have on this. Uh, of course, the the records we have are not complete. Um, her brother-in-law also worked for USAID, and we have two applications to work for the CIA from him. Uh, they say he wasn't hired. Um, and then even on her husband's side, there are connections to the to the top of the CIA. So, yeah, you could see why somebody <laughs> might have some suspicions. Absolutely. The, and, and, the, uh, and the, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, that that the uh, that the you know alleged assassin of the the president ends up randomly living in a in a house yeah. with uh, people with those kind of intelligence connections. It it might uh, raise some red flags for people. Absolutely, and and uh, the pains. Ruth and Michael together, they were questioned, uh, basically by the Warren Commission, they, they were asked far more questions than any other witnesses. I mean, they, they were basically asked more questions than any other witness for the record. And then, but then uh, they, Ruth didn't testify by the, I don't think, for the, HF, the House Select Committee, and uh, the ARB couldn't get a hold of her. So you're, you talking to her now is huge because basically she hasn't spoken this much on the record since the Warren Commission days. but. Did you touch on that with her? Why do you? Because I mean, by any sense of the imagination, especially if she's if she's just this innocent Quaker woman that had no nefarious purpose there, she just happened to be befriending Marina Oswald and learning Russian from her and uh, helping with the kids and all that, and letting her live there while well, her husband rented a room during the week. It came on the weekends, but if there is, did she? Did you touch on, you know, why, why would the Warren Commission investigating the assassination of President Kennedy, why would they spend more time with you and your husband asking you more questions than anyone else? I mean, it just it boggles the mind by any sense of the imagination, especially if you accept her version of events. They certainly weren't the most important witnesses to anything. Yeah, uh, I've heard it said that that Ruth, Ruth knew the Oswalds better than anybody in the months leading up to the assassination. But you know, there's there's Marina, there's there's Oswald's mother, Marguerite. Um, yeah, it is it is curious that the Paines were asked so many questions. I I guess it has to do with with Ruth being with Marina day to day and seeing Lee every weekend in the in the couple months. You know that's that's as long as they were living with her at that point for two months uh, leading up to the assassination, um, and she had only met them nine months before the assassination. Right. Uh, Did you attempt to get? You know, we know that Marina is has been refusing to grant interviews for I guess since the eighties. Uh, so, I, I, did you attempt to get in touch with Marina as well? Yeah, I did many times. I sent letters uh you know i found people who who knew her and could could get in touch with her and sent messages through them and 
um, eventually I, I, I got her on the phone, but she, she never agreed to a, any sort of sit down interview or going on the record. Um, yeah, I heard that, uh, somebody interviewed her in, you know, maybe in the last 10 years or so, I think, or something like that, that Jesse Ventura got, got some interview, but I, the, I yeah, I think it. she had, yes, maybe on the conspiracy show, yeah. or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I think it's, it wasn't much, but yeah, that's the only time, you're right, I forgot that when Jesse Ventura's conspiracy show is on, yeah, he, but it wasn't, it wasn't much, and I know, because I've, I've uh, talked to her, her daughter a few times, and uh, she's, it's not easy to get a hold of. Although I heard from a couple other people that just, and, and I'll tell you about Ruth Payne, my, uh, one of my researchers at Health Day all the time, Bob Wilson, called her a couple weeks ago and she answered the phone and talked to him. Uh, and she was, you know, a little hesitant, but, you know, he was just, and she, she sounded the exact same way she does in your film that basically said, uh, I'm, I'm interested in something. I don't have, I wrote down the exact thing she told but it's something like I'm interested in whatever shows the guilt of Lee Harvey Oswald, something like that to that effect. So she is firmly committed. And that's what amazes me is that she doesn't have the single, a single doubt. And as a former card carrying member of the ACLU way back in my wayward youth, back when they were concerned about civil liberties, I know that the Paines were, I believe, associated with the ACLU. I think Michael Payne took Lee Harvey Oswald to the ACLU meeting at one point. So, I was shocked, and I don't—I don't know if you touched on that or not. Forgive me if I don't remember. But that, uh, the way she acted, she was very hostile to him. Here he's been—he's—he's he's been accused of a crime, but of course he needs legal representation. And who better than the ACLU supporters would want him to have it? So he called her up and asked her to get, you know, John. Um, uh, what's the guy's name? Uh, I'm drawing John a blank Apt. on it. John Apt, John. Yeah, Apt, 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 yeah. And but uh, he—he you know, he wanted a lawyer, and she. I heard an earlier interview. You said, and I was, I, I thought, wow, he I was really a, you know, upset that he had the gall to ask me that at this time. I mean, she still seems to have that resentment. I, mean, I don't understand how she didn't, she didn't consider even at that time that maybe he's not guilty. I mean, this was her friend in some capacity. Were you surprised that she, it seems like she accepted his guilt quicker than almost anyone out there? Yeah, it is a little strange. She does seem to have some animosity towards Oswald, um, and you have to understand that that she actually stole this letter that he was writing. Or this is the yes. the, the story that she tells that Oswald was writing this letter to the Soviet embassy on her typewriter, and he he had a a rough hand handwritten draft there, and he he was trying to not let her see it or something, but then he, he left it and she took it later uh, to give to the FBI. So it, this is a strange, very strange story. And you got to wonder why Ruth Payne would be having somebody living in her house who she, she is essentially informing on to the FBI. She, she took his letter yeah. and her plan was to hand it over to the FBI, which, which she did uh after the assassination uh was the next time she saw them because they had been out before the assassination to to ask uh about oswald and when he wasn't there and they talked they talked to ruth payne um 
and then and then you had the lot. I'm sorry. Well, then you had the library book too. That or the book that was returned uh, from I think uh, Marina Oswald from Ruth Payne that has a a note in it or something referencing Oswald. I believe referencing Oswald attempting to shoot General Walker. You talk, I mean, that, that was very strange that, that that just happened to come. So much of this evidence happened to come from, that's why so many of us suspect her. Because so many of these things originated uh, with Ruth Payne and, of course, her garage, which was the uh, subject of a, a huge disinformation book by Thomas Mallon a few years back. But what, what do you know about the book? Yeah, so, so this book was supposedly overlooked in the police searches of the house. Um, and it was it was a book of you know uh child rearing advice in russian or something it was marina's book and she ruth thought oh I, I should you know hand this over so marina can have it while she's in custody with the you know the secret service and uh so about a week after the assassination she hands this book over and the story is the secret service finds it this very key piece of evidence, this note hidden in the pages of the book. It's called called the Walker note, uh, which is then it becomes uh, you know the the number one piece of evidence uh, that's showing that Oswald was a, was the person who who took a shot at General Edwin Walker uh, a few months before that. Um, and that's that's very important in the Warren report as a way to establish that he, he was capable of violence and that he uh, could clearly uh, have been the, uh, you know, the shooter of Kennedy. And when, when the Dallas police officers first arrived at her home, uh, I'm sure you've heard this. Uh, they, they, they testified that Ruth answered the door very, very cheerily and said, come on in, I've been expecting you. Uh, I don't know if you've heard that, but that's, that's an odd thing to say. Why, why would you be, it's almost like she, I mean, why would you think that he, because I, 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 I don't, first of all, go ahead and answer that and I'll tell you something else. But. Yeah, I've, I've read that. I think that, I think two police officers, uh, yeah. you know, put that in their report that she said she was expecting them. Um, and I, I believe I asked her about that on film and she denied it. She, she just said, I, yeah. I didn't say that. I wasn't expecting them. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Ruth, Ruth Payne, she's at first, she seems like, like a sort of minor, minor character in this, but the more you look into it, she, she is very, very key in this, in this story. And she's a, she's a great window into the assassination for, for uh, Absolutely. new people who are just getting into this, you know, this, this story is very intriguing mm -hmm. and it's kind of got a, a true crime element of whether you think Ruth is, is honest and she's an innocent bystander who just happened to fall into this, this crazy situation, or if you think she's uh, nefarious or deceptive. Um, uh, so yeah, I, I think uh, hopefully this film will get out there wider than than the uh the typical you know niche of uh conspiracy yeah. and and assassination buffs researchers i hope so so have you um 
did this play in any film festivals? I mean, I don't, I don't imagine it's in any theaters, but, and, and I, I know Jim DiEugenio has been talking about, uh, maybe you can get a cable deal. I mean, if you, if you talk to Netflix or anybody, is there a possibility of maybe getting it on any of those channels? Yeah, it's, it's possible. We'll see down the road. Um, it, it's played at a few festivals. Uh, it played at the, uh, the SF Doc Fest recently, and uh, it'll be playing at a at a festival in Texas next month that I'll I'll be announcing soon. I'm excited about that. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, with a, with a topic like this, there's there's a lot of sort of uh, skepticism. There's a lot of bias against anything, you know, conspiracy related. No matter no matter how responsible or factual you you are or fair to both sides, uh, right. you know there's still people who just don't want to touch it. Um, so yeah, this I think the film uh, is, is is having a great life, and, but a lot of it is going to be word of mouth. Um, you know, it's it's available on iTunes and Amazon and other places online, so people can see it. Well, that's well, that's great, and we certainly wish it all the success. But one thing I know that Ruth Payne uh, told you in the film that I was really shocked to hear, and that was when she, uh, because you know Oliver Stone has been very open uh, about saying the reason. If you, if you noticed in, in JFK's film, he used the real names of characters. He, he used a couple top, like Mister X, a couple that were composite characters based on a few, but. Uh, he did not use the names of Ruth Payne, Michael Payne. And uh, she kind of questioned that with you, like, why didn't he? But Oliver Stone has been very open about saying, I didn't because she threatened to sue. I mean, so I, I think it's pretty obvious why he didn't use their real names. Uh, did she uh, hint at that at all? Because the way it came off in the film is like, you know, why didn't he use our real names? Well, he was afraid of litigation. Yeah. Uh, so, so Jim D. D. Eugenio has has talked to Oliver Stone recently, and Oliver Stone says he did reach out to the Paines. So uh, that's that's where that stands. Ruth Ruth says that he didn't. Uh, who knows if her you know whose memory is right? I, I don't know. Uh, but yeah, it is. It's interesting. Very interesting that that their names were changed to Bill and Janet Williams in the movie. And, right. you know, uh, the actress who plays Ruth in, in JFK did a very good job at, you know, being very, being sort of suspicious uh, and, you know, mysterious. Um, and some of those, those scenes on the pains are, are included in my film. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, that's yeah. go ahead. Well, there, there's so well, there, and there's a, the you know, the other the other thing that uh, yeah, because so much of this, so many, much of the evidence, so called evidence against Lee Harvey Oswald really originates with with Ruth Payne. I mean, for instance, the the Oswald is abuser of his wife, a lot of that comes from Ruth Payne. Uh, and one of the things that uh, Buddy Walters, one of the Dallas deputy sheriffs, uh, who of course later would be one of the many suspicious deaths. He, shoot out in the hotel room. Buddy Walters is at the scene of a lot of things, but Buddy Walters testified that they found um, one or two, maybe multiple file cabinets of uh, 
files on anti-Castro Cubans and things like that in Mrs. Payne's garage. Did she, have you heard about that? Because, of course, you know, she denied it. Now, it's officially denied. And, of course, Walters is no longer around to test that. But that's what he testified to originally. Yeah, there's there's a pretty good section in the film about about this question over the file cabinets and whether there were, you know, uh, sort of you know, investigation files, you know, on Cuban sympathizers that the, the, the accusation is that Ruth and Michael might have been doing intelligence informant security work in uh, keeping track of, of communists and Cuban sympathizers. And that, you know, maybe they were sort of going to meetings or, you know, somehow keeping track on of the radical left uh, as, you know, for, for who, for the, you know, the FBI, the CIA, who knows? And of course there's the, 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 uh, the fact that, uh, Ruth Payne's car. Uh, it was you know, whether what exactly what it was, but it was very close to the description. A Natch station, uh, Natch Rambler station wagon or something. That uh, Roger Craig and five other unconnected witnesses. They all described seeing someone looking like Oswald running out, running down the embankment outside the depository and entering a car like that after the assassination. That's that would be a pretty good lead to, the, to go on, but the officials weren't interested in anything. And I don't know if you and I, when Oswald was. Uh, under interrogation, of course, none of these sections were recorded, so we had to go by what. But supposedly, when that car was mentioned, he exploded and said, uh, "That car belongs to Mrs. Payne. Keep her out of it." What What is your uh, familiarity with that? Yeah, I've I've, I've heard about that. Uh, I I didn't really investigate it too much. I, people have actually contacted me trying to tell me who the person was who was driving that car. Uh, but, uh, it, you know, it seems, it, it seems kind of speculative to me and I don't know, there's, there's a little bit of issue with, with, was it, was it actually the same kind of station wagon that Ruth Payne had? Right. Um, right. I don't know if that's just, just a dead end, uh, but it's, it is intriguing. Um, maybe, yeah. maybe there's yeah. more, more people can, can figure out about that. Well, of course, it's one of those things that if it had been investigated at the time, that should have been. I mean, you have six different witnesses, at least. And some of them we didn't find out about until years later when these files were, some of these files were unclassified, declassified, all saying the same thing. They just, they described someone like Oswald running into this car, right? I mean, to me, that would have, should have been their top lead, but they just swept it under the rug. They obviously kept some of these files uh, classified whether or not they belong to Mrs. Payne. Because again, I, I don't know what Ruth Payne's role was. And we can only speculate on that. And I don't I don't like to speculate, but something that arrangement was really strange, however you look at it. And for, I think most of my audience understands, but basically, you know, the the Marina Oswald and they were separate separated quite a bit, but then they would get together on the weekends. And I, I interviewed uh, Buell Frazier and uh, he told me he gave me an entirely different uh view of Lee Harvey Oswald. I mean, he described him as being incredibly good with children. He talked about how every Friday when he came there, the kids from the neighborhood would run around and gather under this big tree in the Payne's yard uh, because uh, Lee would and they'd start cheering that Lee was here and they'd play with him. It, 
did you hear anything about that? I wonder if you touched on that with, with Ruth Payne, because that kind of goes counter to this sullen loner that, you know, was kind of antisocial. Yeah. I, I also interviewed uh, Buell Wesley Frazier, and he, he told me the same thing, that, that Lee was great with kids, yeah. and he would play with them there in front of Ruth's house, that that huge oak tree is still there. And I, when yeah. I was out there filming at the house, you know, a few years ago, there's tree was filled with blackbirds and they all they all you know flew out of the tree at once um and uh yeah i i i tried to get a little bit from ruth about you know what oswald was really like and you know was he uh was he intelligent what did she think about him um she she admitted that he was intelligent, but then she immediately said he was dyslexic. Um, so she usually didn't have much good to say about him. She she may have said that he was he was good with the kids, or he 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 loved okay. his kids, or something at some point. Um, but uh, yeah, you you usually are not going to hear some something like that in in the media because it, it definitely no. goes counter to the, to the image. Oh, and you, you just think that uh, regardless of her opinion about him, that would be something that would have an impression on you. This was her house. And if she noticed every time Lee came to visit on the weekend, all the neighborhood kids would go crazy. And and I I, don't, I assume that meant her kids as well. Because I know Fraser said his nieces and nephews did. So uh, it just seems to me like that would have had some kind of an impression on her. Wow. He's he's really good with kids or something, but and and she might mention that, but it seems like she's always been hesitant to say anything positive about him. You said you know he said he was intelligent, but he's just like you know it's like she's she's really and said when she told my friend Bob Wilson that, that you know he's I'm interested in talking about anything that points to the guilt of Lee Harvey Wildfield. You can tell she's kind of dug her heels in now, and you know all these decades later, apparently. None of the controversy about the assassination and all the books that have been written, all, all the uh, questions that remain, she doesn't seem interested in any of those, does she? No. And in, it is a little frustrating that that none of this seems to mean anything to her. Uh, you know, it's yeah. just you don't have to, you know, come to a conclusion to to except the fact that some of this stuff is suspicious and there there are legitimate questions here uh and so yeah she's she's very set in her position um i think you also have to realize that in, in some ways she's defending the official story she's defending herself at the same time yes um yeah so yeah absolutely and you know people can speculate right. over where where she's really coming from, what she really believes, is she in deep denial? Uh, how much she could have known about you know a plot, and we we just we don't know. You can you can watch my movie and decide for yourself where where she think you think she stands, um, but uh, you know she's it's it's hard to tell if. <laughs> what what the truth is here it, it, it definitely is well how how is now has ruth seen the film did you send the film to her has she seen the completed film and if so what was her reaction to it so ruth the last time i saw her 
uh, was in 2019 in Dallas. She was out there uh, doing some talks and uh, she made it pretty clear to me in the last last couple times I talked to her that, that she was not interested in being involved in my my project anymore. So since then oh, I have oh, really? I, yeah I've, I've I've left her alone. I have not contacted her. Um, she's also she turns 90 years old this year and uh, yeah. I don't want to do anything really aggressive towards her. I've, I've heard through the grapevine mm -hmm. that she doesn't want to see the film and she's probably not going to watch it. Uh, that's okay. Um, you know, I, I, I tried to be as respectful as I could with her while also seriously exploring this history, you know, and not, not copping out. Um, so I, uh, you know, if I, I hope some people tell her that the film is, is balanced and, uh, and yes. respect, respectful and that maybe she gives it a chance and watches it uh but but uh i'm i'm kind of doubtful that'll happen yeah. well that's surprising because you think that she would want to uh so are you are you scared of because again oliver stone apparently was are you frightened that she might try to sue you even though i, I there's nothing except you 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 were very balanced and you bent over backwards to be fair to her I think you did a great job of being even-handed, but is in the back of your mind, are you, are you scared that she might just decide to take you to court and say, I didn't agree to this or something, or? Uh, that's a consideration. Uh, you know, she did sign a release and she she willingly participated okay. in the documentary and she is a, a public figure at this point. Um, and yes. I, I, I don't think there's really a case against the movie, but you know, if you have enough money, you, you can probably bring whatever suit you want to. Um, I I hope they, they don't, and I, I don't think they will because it probably would just bring more attention on the film. Um, yeah. So, yeah, we'll, we'll see. I've, some people have said that she, she should sue me, but uh, I, I don't agree. I think this is the film uh is respectful to to the you know her full experience in the assassination it's uh i think it would have been less respectful to do something where we pretended that these these suspicions didn't even exist um i'm, I'm, lo I'm looking for tony T tony if you're there because we only have a, a little bit i, I want to make sure we get to play at least one or maybe two of these clips because we have a trailer and everything i want people to be able to see them. so tony if you can hear me uh i'll look for you to get back to the desk and we'll play something but um, that's unusual that, that, that she would participate and then maybe she saw the way she thought the, the direction it was, but I don't know how she would know that because she didn't see what, what else you were doing. She just, could, I guess, judge by what you were talking about with her. And I think you were, you know, you were, you were very, you would have been, you were fairer than I would have been. I would have probably had a hard time controlling myself. There's Tony now. Uh, Tony, can we, uh, can we play one or two of those clips now? Yeah, let me pull up the uh, the email. There's three different attachments. Uh, Tony, which can one you hear me? Yeah, which one? There's three different attachments. Don, which one did you want to play? I see him. See if he's. I can't hear you though. Yeah, there's Tony. Can Can you play uh, one or two? Of the, maybe play the trailer. Uh, let's see if I can. Which one is the trailer? Um, yeah, okay, it's the one. It's two minutes and thirty seconds. Okay. Okay, so everybody, if you're watching. Uh, the trailer to the assassination of Mrs. Payne. Gotcha. 
pulling it up now. Yes, yes. I first read about Ruth Payne 10 years ago. I was surprised to find that this sweet old Quaker woman has been suspected of playing a role in the JFK assassination. The president was hit in the head. I'm woven into a lot of people's conspiracy theories. I think there are certain soft spots where she's lying. You actually might find one of the real keys to the Kennedy case. Ruth and Michael Payne are do-gooders whom nobody would have ever heard of if it hadn't been for the accident that one of the people they helped out in life was Lee Harvey Oswald. One of the officers uh, asked if he had any guns, and I said no. It was a coup. You can't close the circle without the pains. Who is likely to have wanted Kennedy dead? You'd have to say the CIA, but perhaps also the military as well. It's not mom, apple pie in America to think things like that. A little poll here. How many of you people think there was a conspiracy? I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> the Warren Commission withheld mountains of evidence from the public. Everything I saw pointed to him and him alone. She's been a disinformation agent. The veneers come off Ruth and Michael Payne. I mean, they're just not credible anymore. Is it a coincidence that it was you, Mrs. Payne, who directed Lee to the job in the school book depository? And it's just a coincidence that the gun that supposedly killed the president was located in your house? All of these things just sort of happened all around you. With the last telephone calls that Lee Oswald made to anybody in the world, and they were to Ruth Payne, and the only person who can say what Oswald said is Ruth. You are not an agent for the CIA, are you? No. You are not an agent for the KGB, are you? No. Are you laughing again? <laughs> Excuse me. No. Who are you going to believe? I mean, really. Long term, I'm hoping that real history will prevail. It's so easy to justify what you do. And it is for any of us. Wow, very, very impressive. And I, I, hope, I hope everybody goes and sees the film. I w wanted to ask you, uh, Max, did you, I think Ruth had a couple children. Did you have a chance? I, I, I've always wondered what her children think of uh, their mother's role in history. Uh, is, does anybody know that? Uh, well, I talked to her daughter. I I reached out to her son, but he never responded. Uh, the daughter uh, said that there's nothing to all the conspiracy theories. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I don't know what, what her son thinks. Um, they're, you know, uh, who knows? Uh, it would be curious to to ask them. Is you think is is it possible that your your parents were some sort of spies? Uh, <laughs> but who who knows? And it it even if they were, uh, who knows if the kids would would have any idea about it? Right. Well, they were so young, and it, it's after investigating this, after putting the film together. What are your What are your thoughts? I mean, of course, you know, people ask me all the time who killed JFK, 
And I, you know, I've been investigating this since the mid 1970s. And my answer is always, I can't say for sure, but I know it wasn't Lee Harvey Oswald. Basically, wasn't Oswald. Not, not not sure who else. But I think they proved conclusively it wasn't him. But what are your thoughts? Who, who do you think at this point was responsible for the assassination of uh, President? Well, I'm I'm going to be cagey about about answering that. Um, while while I'm promoting this film, I, I I'm pretty decided that the best the best approach is is to to stay somewhat mysterious, somewhat objective here and, and say, look, I, I, I want people to, to watch this film and decide for themselves. I, I don't want people to go into this film and say, oh, he's he came to this conclusion. Oh, he, he must be nuts. This is going to be propaganda. Or, oh, he's, he's on that side. Oh, this must be some disinformation. Uh, so, uh, yeah, maybe, maybe some, somewhere down the road, I'm going to be more open with with what I actually okay. think, but I, I think the, the the most important thing is that people think for themselves, and I want them to do that with this film. There there are different perspectives in here. You have to be on your toes. You got to be a critical viewer uh, to come to your own conclusions. Did, did, did this did this whet your appetite for digging? Because again, this is just one portion. It's a critical portion because Ruth Payne is really. Just about the only living witness, other than Buell Fraser, that's still left that had any real strong connection uh, to Lee Harvey Oswald. Did this what's your appetite to dig deeper into the overall JFK case? Yeah. Well, while I was working on this film, which which took seven years, I I read, you know, fifteen books or something. Uh, so yes, I I know a lot more now than I used to. And uh, you know, in some ways now I'm I know I'm a part of this this community of uh, researchers. Uh, so yeah, this is something that I'll I'll always have an interest in. I don't know if I'm going to make another film about it, but uh, you know, well, people know, have said this is the this is the greatest story of all time, and I I kind of agree. Yeah, it's 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 a, well it's certainly I never have lost my obsession with it. But I know the community, it's a lot of people out there watching, and they're very excited about your film. Uh, everything I've seen, I, I don't think I've seen a negative reaction to it from researchers yet. And uh, Joe McBride, who I'm a shout out to him. He's the one that uh, hooked me up with you. Great guy, great Hollywood background and JFK assassination background as well. So I want to thank him for that. Paul Lanichi, I'll we'll let you promote it. Uh, Paul Lanichi wants to know where can he see this film? When it, well, it already is out. He wants to know where can I see this film when it comes out. So tell people the best place to see it uh, is it going to be playing anywhere else or uh you know where where's the best place for them to see the film well it's it's available now on amazon itunes vimeo google play uh youtube movies uh so many many online platforms you can you can rent it or purchase it digitally and it'll be playing at some more film festivals it's playing in australia at a film festival in a few days. It'll be playing in, in Texas uh, at a film festival that I'll be announcing soon uh, next month. Um, and hopefully we have some more more screenings. I'd, I'd love to do screenings and be there and you know see it with an audience and, and talk about it afterwards. Uh, but um, yeah, everybody, every can, everybody can watch it uh, if, they, if they want to at this point. 
Well, it deserves a wider audience. It's a, it's a great film. You did a great job of uh, being fair-minded, but I think you know most knowledgeable people come away from it uh, feeling feeling a certain way. And uh, again, it's the assassination of Mrs. Payne. Uh, I'll let you before we go just give out any links you want, or uh, tell the people where they can contact you or find you. Yeah, I, I'd point people to the the film's website, which is jfkpain.com and uh that's also my handle on on twitter and uh facebook um i'm, I'm pretty active on twitter these days so uh if you have any questions or comments hit me up uh, Aust australian ben wants to know where in australia and which film festival so it's playing at the revelation perth uh international film festival so that's in Perth, Australia. It's uh, Western Australia. I hope you're on that side of Australia because it's pretty far <laughs> from any of the, any of the other cities. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I'm not sure if it's available online in, in all international countries at this point, um, but you know, down the road, it, it definitely will be. Well, go see the assassination of Mrs. Payne. A wonderful job, Max. Good. Thanks so much for being with us. Uh, really appreciate it. Wish you the best of luck. Thanks a lot. Really, really appreciate you having me on. My pleasure. Thank Thanks so much. Bye. Thank you. Okay, Tony. Do we want to uh, open up the phone lines? We can always open up the phone lines, Don, anytime you want. We'll uh, <laughs> we'll use your favorite number, too, the 888-770-1776. I'll even put Absolutely. it. Absolutely. I love that 1776. And then I, uh, I tried to actually go to the Rockfin chat room, and it knocked me off for a minute. I don't know what's going on. So last week it was okay. This week it wouldn't let me do it, so I, I don't know. So well, you've raised some money today. You've got uh, Riley sent you ten dollars upgrading the Don Fund, and that's because <laughs> you couldn't hear me when I came into the stream. And it's just all that is is a lag, and I think it maybe just might be your laptop or something. It's just a lag in, in comms. It's not a big deal. Um, but yeah, uh, Riley uh, sent you some money, and Chris Graves is in the chat. Um, bunch thank, of thank you, Riley. Thank you, Riley. Wonderful. Thank you, Riley. I appreciate it. Again, as you know, I have, uh, you have Beans the, the Brave. I have Riley the uh, the, uh, su the the supermodel diva, the golden retriever, the, be the beautiful diva that we have. <laughs> we all love our dogs. And of course, I, I'm, I'm partial to that name, Riley. So again, it's 888-0770-1776. So I'd love to hear from you. So I don't, what, what did you what did you think of, uh, what, 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 did you have much knowledge of uh, Ruth Payne or her connection to the assassination before Tony? Not, not as much as I uh, would have liked. I mean, I, and I was listening to, I was fascinated with the interview and it's one of those missing pieces. And it's funny because you think after all these years that everything would be wrapped up, but it's not right. And uh, you covered that. Well, yeah. I, did you mention, you mentioned Ruth Payne in, in hidden history. Oh yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I, I'm, I'm going to have, I want to have more about her in uh, hidden history three. Yeah. Cause she's, she's got a lot of kind you know, there's and again she's fascinating because I, I mentioned bob wilson did call her uh we can she answered the phone and some of these and i understand i've never called her i'm kind of scared to do it but marina oswald i understand will answer the phone too if you call her she just won't give interviews but she'll actually actually answer the phone uh 
So some of these people will, you know, will do that, but I, I, I'd love to have her on. But um, One of my friends in high school used to mow her lawn. Marie Doswell? Yeah. 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 She's, uh, well, it's, and, you know, of course, I, I'm, I've talked to her daughter a few times. I'm trying to um, talk to her again. You know, still would love to have her on the show, but I, I don't know if that's ever going to happen. But uh, I think people need to talk up because um, I, and my, I think my attitude towards Ruth Payne is that she's just, I, I don't understand that. Whatever, the, even if the situation was innocent. And for those of you who don't know, the, the situation was very, uh, Ruth Payne, just looking at this, we exposed me as a Quaker, you know, just a strong faith Quaker woman who uh, wanted to learn Russian. Okay. In the middle of the Cold War, naturally. <laughs> it's all good Quakers did back then. And, uh, she, uh, so she hooks up with Marina Oswald, who, uh, you know, again, Lee Harvey Oswald's young Russian bride. You, they're, you know, gorgeous. Marina Oswald, if you've seen pictures of her, she was, she was a beauty. And um, so, uh, and they come up with this curious arrangement. They meet in New Orleans, actually. And they come out to Texas. And uh, she says, hey, you can live with me, Marina. And, you know, I'll, I'll, if you teach me Russian, then, uh, you know, I'll, I'll let you live here. And we can help each other, you know, because they put that small kid. So, okay. Sounds plausible, I guess. But she's still married to Lee Harvey Oswald. So Lee Harvey Oswald gets this minimum wage job at the school with Cosgrove. Uh, so how does it factor into that that he – I'm going to rent a room during the week. I don't know what rooms cost back then, but he was making almost nothing. So he rents a room, as a lot of cutout intelligence agents do, by the way. Okay. You know, that's something, again, that indicates he was probably doing that. But And then he comes home on the weekend. And, you know, she says he can't stay here, but he can stay on the weekend. That doesn't make any sense to me. And if she's trying to help them out, why wouldn't she help them? And he's so great with kids, according to Buell Fraser. And when I interviewed Buell Fraser, on the uh, now defunct Donald Jeffrey show, but soon may be revived at another network coming down the road. <laughs> yeah, the old Donald Jeffrey show, I interviewed him and uh, he assured me, I asked him, I said, well, wouldn't you, because you worked with him, you, he, he rode him home, basically he rode Oswald home with him from work every Friday. And of course, the, 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 they broke the pattern that week where he rode back on a Thursday and so people said, ah, see, he did that because you know, he wanted to, Think it by, and then he, you know, he went and killed the president the next day. But uh, Frazier said, "Well, no, I would, yeah, I would, I would have ridden him every day, so he would have had a ride every day. It made no sense for him to be spending extra money to on on a room like that. But no one's really looked into Oswald's, you know, any of this stuff. So Haynes are at the center of this, and they had their father. Her father was a long, long uh, connections to the agency for international development. This is right." Uh, the, it goes back to like the Forbes family and it, it's connections to everything. And I'll have a lot of that in, in, in Hidden History 3, but um, just strange. If this was an innocent arrangement, like I said, uh, somebody that cares about civil liberties and they allegedly did that, why would you respond with such hostility when your friend, I mean, I, you know, Oswald was her friend in some capacity. He was staying there every weekend or his wife was staying there all the time. The next, really, the next day, she's so certain of his guilt that she resents him calling and asking for an attorney. This is an ACLU member. That's the story we're supposed. To, I, I was frankly, I was, I, I was, I was shocked that he had that kind of nerve to ask me for anything at that point. He just wants an attorney. You remember the ACLU, but that has always shocked me. That uh, I don't think a lot of people have, have questioned on that. But so much of this stuff uh, from the 
the rifle, the blanket being found in the garage that supposedly housed the man like Carcano, that's you know dubiously traced to Oswald and and everything else, the missing file cabinets of uh, you know information and uh, it, so much of what we hear, the negative stuff we hear about Lee Harvey Oswald comes almost exclusively from Ruth Payne and Marina in the early days because they really pressured Marina. And uh, but um, it's a good documentary. It's it's very it's uh, well done and it's. Uh, it is even-handed, so it's it's not a hat a hatchet job. But I was shocked to hear that she uh, she just cut off uh, association with him and said she had no interest in him. I don't get that. She talked to him a lot. And he sat down with you. Think she'd want to see the finished product, but I guess maybe she saw which way they're going. But uh, and all for anybody, says you... Mr. Payne and Bell Helicopter. Yes. Uh, I saw that. Um, I'll put that up on the screen. Uh, you, you know, uh, your interview with uh, Buell Frazier is up on your podcast feed on the America Unplugged Radio. That was a great interview, by the way. That, yeah, I, I was one of thank you. That was one of my uh, I, I, he, Buell Frazier is uh, he's he's one of the nicest human beings I've ever talked to. I mean, he's just, and I'm aware he's kind of maybe he's changed his story here or there. I don't know, but I, I just. In my opinion, he's just such a nice guy that he maybe he just bends over backwards to, to tell people what they want to hear. I, I don't I don't really know, but he uh, he came out very strongly for conspiracy on my show, stronger than he ever has before. And uh, so people listen to that. It's a fascinating interview because he'll you'll see a different side of Oswald because he you know he, he, he this is like he was Pied Piper with children. I mean, they do the leaves coming a Friday. I mean, it does not fit in with this sullen loser who you know was beating his wife up and everything. And that's why if uh, you know, his daughter is listening today, and I hope she is. I know she's listening to some of my shows. I, 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 tell her, I, I believe she listened to the View of Razor show. I wanted her to know. She was an infant. She didn't get to know him. I wanted her to know that uh, that her, her dad maybe was not who he was represented to be. Maybe this guy, you know, maybe he wasn't. And, you know, Jim Garrison at one point called him a hero. Now, I don't know if he was a hero, but if he was an undercover agent and he was assigned, and I believe that's what his role was. I believe like Jim Garrison did. I believe he was assigned the role at the time of uh, the assassination where he, he was told that there was a group plotting to assassinate the president and he was told to infiltrate them. And I think that's the people we know that the uh, Garrison went after him, Jack Ruby, Clay uh, uh, Shaw, David Ferry, the anti-Castro Cubans. And that's where I think Ruth Payne and Michael Payne and George DeMorenfield, all these people, I think those are great. And I, I personally, I can't prove it. I personally think they all were probably being manipulated against each other because they probably all were undercover. We know Jack Ruby was an FBI informant. Uh, they, they, they probably all were working. Maybe they were all told the same thing. Hey, infiltrate this plot. Unbeknownst to anybody else. So I, I think that's probably the most logical explanation. I don't, you know, I don't think any of them, you know, had anything to do as far as actually killing the president, but they were all in the middle of it, being manipulated against each other. And uh, I think obviously the real plotters were much higher up the food chain. But that's the way I look at it. And uh, I, I, so I think Ruth Payne's important in that respect. Maybe, you know, I, I don't think she was like, you know, one of the main conspirators to kill JFK, but I think she probably was her own intelligence connection. She was probably being manipulated and probably told to watch out, watch Marina. That's my opinion. I, I can't prove it. I say everything I say is speculation because all I know is that after studying this thing and, and intensely, way too intensely, way more than any normal person should ever study anything <laughs> for decades, uh, you, you come to one conclusion, and that is what they, 
they certainly didn't mean to, but they inadvertently proved that it was impossible for Lee Harvey Oswald to have done it. I don't know what else happened, but you, you guys were trying to point the finger at him and you showed overwhelmingly that, hey, you know, he couldn't have done it. So we don't know who else did, but, or, but uh, we know he didn't. So anyhow, that's the... Uh, Don, speak a little bit to the to the relationship between Demore and Shield and, and the pains. Did I miss that? And and you, did you discuss that yeah, with Matt? Not too much because I was trying. Uh, Demore and Shield. Well, Demore and Shield is an incredibly interesting character. The first thing you know about it is George Demore and Shield. To say he ran in different circles than Lee Harvey Oswald. First of all, he was old enough to be Oswald's father, and he came from an upper crust background. This guy had connections to everybody, to the Nazis, American intelligence. Uh, he was all over the world. And uh, to know what circles he ran in, as a young man, he dated Jackie Kennedy's mother. He bounced little Jackie Kennedy on his knee. So this is the world he came from. And of course, you know, Jackie Kennedy came from great wealth too. So how does this guy end up? And he's supposedly part of the white Russian community in Dallas because the people that are really anti-communist. And here you have an open Marxist that, you know, they uh, defected to the Soviet Union and this white Russian leader, incredibly wealthy guy, uh, just you know, upper crust elitist, well educated. Here you have this minimum wage loser that was dishonorably discharged from Marines, uh, uh, defected to Russia. How do they get together and become best friends? I mean, that's it's so it's obvious. And Jamoran Child, of course, later, uh, unlike Ruth Payne, Jamoran Child felt a lot of guilt. And he wrote a manuscript called I'm a Patsy, I'm a Patsy. And he, I, I'll have a lot of this in Hidden History Theory with him and his wife, Jeannie, same name as my wife. Uh, both of them uh, had to say later about, you know, Oswald didn't do it. He was framed. So he was very open. Of course, then he he dies very mysteriously. Uh, yeah, talk about right, how he died. I, rem yeah, I remember well, reading this. 1977, uh, right before he was scheduled to testify for the House Select Committee on Assassinations, as several other witnesses did, including... Mobsters, Johnny Rotelli, and Sam Giancana. Uh, he goes, and, and Bill O'Reilly is right in the middle of that, by the way. I don't know who, and I'll have this whole story in Hidden History 3. You would not be amazed at the disinformation Bill O'Reilly put out there about him. He, he came up with a whopper that you're not going to believe. I mean, it's amazing. <laughs> uh, anyway, he, he, he supposedly killed himself. And they even have, supposedly have it recorded on uh, audio tape, I believe. Videotape wasn't out yet. Because the, the house where DeMorne Schultz was staying in, the woman there supposedly had her maid record all the soap operas every day. So she supposedly recorded. So I don't know if anybody's heard that tape. And uh, the woman, you can't find any trace of her. I don't think she's ever talked to anybody since that happened. The woman whose house had happened. And I've now, but I, I certainly would love to talk to her. But DeMorne Schultz clearly, I think, you know, I don't think there's any question he, that he was murdered. Uh, his his widow Jeannie certainly believed that, and uh, anybody, lots of other people believe that as well. But O'Reilly told a whopper of a story. It's too in, in long to get into, so you'll just have to read it in the book. But it's uh, Morantil was again one of the many characters that uh, we used to call it. But uh, it's just an incongruent thing. He doesn't belong in that picture. Those two don't go together. You know, you just, uh, writing the book Survival of the Richest, you know, I, I'm very well aware of the class distinctions that still exist in America. And under no circumstances is someone of George Demorenschultz's background ever going to hook up with somebody of Lee Harvey Oswald. 
maybe they might pass in the night, but they're not going to become friends. The only way he would have had any interest in Lee Harvey Oswald is if he was doing some kind of work for somebody. He was supposed to be his handler or whatever. And um, so I think those are, but Oswald had those kind of connections everywhere. He was, um, all you need to know about him too is that we, um, there was a guy named Kerry Thornley, who was uh, one of his fellow Marines. And uh, Thornley was, uh, he was a, a very interesting guy. And if you, if you look at the Warren Commission, uh, the testimony, and most of it's incredibly boring, but all, all of Oswald's other Marines buddies, uh, most of them are one, two pages. They didn't know that much. Thornley's goes on forever. And he's the one who said, you know, yeah, he called him Private Oswaldovich and, you know, said he was openly reading the Daily Worker. And it's, again, this is the middle of the Cold War, the Marines. I mean, do you think that would have caused a few fights, you know, with his colleagues, but, you know, not, not speaking Russian openly there? But, but Thornley was the one who said that. And Thornley was writing a book about Lee Harvey Oswald before the assassination. Now, explain that one. And Thor Thornley is one of those guys, uh, I've talked about the Illuminatus uh, trilogy, written by Robert Anton Wilson and Robert Shea. Uh, Thornley hooked up with Robert Anton Wilson. Robert Anton Wilson himself was a really, really fascinating character. Uh, he wrote uh, Cosmic Trigger, The Final Secret of the Illuminati, all these books about the way, and he hooked up with Timothy Leary. Timothy Leary and him were really, and you're Timothy Leary, CIA, and you know, I would trust him as far as you could throw him. And so Robert Anton Wilson, I didn't really trust, uh, but uh, he uh, he was so obsessed with Kerry Thornley. I didn't realize it until later when I was reading Illuminatus. He has this thing called Discordianism, and it's, it runs throughout the trilogy. And it's they have all these ridiculous sayings. And, and one of them I remember was, you never whistle while you piss, whatever that means. But it's supposed to be significant, but it's Discordianism. And it all comes from Kerry Thornley, Oswald's Marine buddy. And for and I didn't realize it until later. I said, "Wow, so much of that book came from the philosophy that this guy invented." But he was he was a violent guy, and like so many of the people involved in this, was gay. I mean, so many of them were. That's why at one point, you know, Erickson is rumored to have touched on it. You know, and uh, but you can't help but notice it. I mean, it's, it's a, a lot of connections there. And uh, but uh, yeah, so there, there was a there's so many. That's why you know the, the JFK assassination is still my baby. It uh, there's just so much there, you know. You can go run in one direction with it, and that's why I think I've got like 150 pages devoted to it in history. It's like probably more than twice the amount I had in the original in history because I go a lot deeper into it than I did before. Needless to say, fascinating stuff, and I I, I think probably some members of the JFK assassination research community are actually watching today. They may not watch that often, so. It'll be about time for you guys to tune out now because I'll be turning to other subjects and I'm sure you think I'm crazy and everything else. So <laughs> you're listening. It was nice while you were listening, but uh, it's, uh, I don't know. It's, it's been just a, um, it continues to be just a madhouse. And I don't know if you, if you heard Tony that uh, if we were, if we were up on YouTube, this would get us uh, banned. Of course, I still can't stream live. I don't know when that's going to be taken off. I guess they're really serious this time though keeping me off the longer, but uh, Alberta, Canada announced this week that uh, the leading cause of death in all of Alberta is unknown causes. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, just think of that. What? I mean, just, uh, again, this is unprecedented stuff, and 
the answer is so obvious. And I, I got something today. Somebody sent me where uh, I think it's doctors in the UK. A bunch of them are are finally asking the question. They're they're wondering why why the death rate is you know so incredible, why it's so high, and uh, they mentioned that it's not from COVID. So you know what is it from? I, I mean, <laughs> it's such a mystery. It's like the, <laughs> it's like the uh, One America Life Insurance CEO uh, yes. in, in twenty twenty one. He's like, we've seen a two hundred year event. It's a forty percent spike in deaths between eighteen and sixty four. We we don't know what it is. Uh, it, it, it's not saying COVID on the death certificates. It's got to be COVID, though. They they still can't connect the dots, or maybe yeah. they can. But that's that's the there's more than one insurance issue with this. And see, that's the funny thing, Don, and, and that kind of touches on actual deaths because if we talk about 2020 and COVID 1984, nobody. I mean, it, all of us researchers. I was asking, has anybody gotten this thing? Are you are you sick? Are you in the hospital? And I couldn't find anybody. I'm sure that yeah. there was, but it was like, yeah. you know, a fraction of a fraction of a fraction. And then yeah. we all know in 2021, because we're in real life, you can see people getting sick and, and having adverse reactions and all the other stuff because of the of the vaccines. Um, or at least that's what the it's, it, that's that's the difference. Right. The difference is uh, 2021, the introduction of the shots. We know this. Oh, that's what Peter McCullough said when I get on the. Donald Jeffrey show. Uh, well, Mac, he said that was he. Uh, that was his, I said, you know, what do you think of the death rate going up like forty percent last year? And he, he said, well, the the only the only new factor that's been introduced in the equation is the vaccine. Right. He said so. I mean, really, when you would Sherlock Holmes say, when you've eliminated the impossible, whatever else remains, however unlikely, you know, that's, that's your answer. So. Uh, I think we've eliminated everything else. There is nothing else there. And even, even their absurd numbers, and we, we know how phony the numbers are, uh, but even if we go by their phony numbers, even if we accept that, you know, the amount of people that have died from COVID that we know died from other causes, including my brother, but I mean, way more pe people that were in you know, uh, just totally gunshot wounds and things like that. We know we read about that early on when they were attributing these things, but they, they got sucked up in the numbers. And those numbers are still there. But even if you go by those numbers, they still don't come close to matching what we're seeing in the increased death rate. And there's nothing else mysterious out there. There's only one other thing. And that's the vaccine. Just like there's, you know, what, what's the explanation for myocardial damage in children? We talked about that earlier on David Knight's show. And nobody ever heard of that before. Now you have children that, that have this and it's, it's like parents are, you know, to be expected for their little kids to have heart attacks. Like what? Can you imagine thinking that? I, I, I would it's global mortify warning. It's global yes. warming. Well, that's what it is. <laughs> climate run, change. That story too. Sure. Well, climate change is for everything. You know, climate change is a, a horrible thing. You know, unless you're unless you're a BP or something, then you can uh, you can do what you want to the climate or the American military. You know, my, my friend Cindy Sheehan has commented on that before. And uh, yeah, what, what about all these military misadventures we have in all these countries? And it wreaks some havoc on the environment, but that's, that's the thing. Climate change is has nothing to do with the environment. They, you know, they used to call it environmentalism. Never the word. When's the last time you heard the word ecology? It's obsolete now. I mean, we said <laughs> so I'm an ecologist. No, now you're a climate change expert. You're not, you're not even. You literally. Don't, yeah, it's just it means you're, you're trying to get people to lower their standard of living. That's the entire thing. It's part of this plot. You know, the Alex Jones talking about carbon taxes and all that's truth in that. 
But the, 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 the main thing is to get you used to going without, doing with less, living in a small cubicle, and like it, what is it, you know, the Klaus Schwab says, you know, you'll own nothing and be happy. And uh, that's, that's what they want. They don't want to, they, they hate the middle class. They hate uh, in neighborhoods like mine that, uh, you know, that I, I'm so grateful for that it's here, but they, they hate this. They don't like the tree line, street lined uh, communities with sidewalks and they're quiet and, you know, kids are running around and dogs are running around. I mean, there's nothing that makes, you know, that made America great, you know, that kind of stuff and uh, barbecues and things like that. They, they hate that. They don't want that. And uh, I, I don't know, even sometimes it, it doesn't make sense to me how strongly they oppose it, but they know the middle class is, is, is the greatest threat to them. That's, that's what made, to the degree that America was great. I mean, America was really, and ironically, America really was at its greatest after I think one of their many horrible errors when they, you know, were in World War II. But after World War II, no denying the post-war boom. We got a call, Don. Gotcha. Caller, you're on with Don Jeffries. Go ahead. Hello, Mr. Jeffries. This is uh, Perry White of the Daily Planet. I just want to let you know that George Demore Shield was also very good buddies from a uh, young age with uh, the, uh, the Bush family. Yes, yes, George. In particular, uh, Poppy Bush. Yes, that's right. Uh, do keep some strange uh, company. Uh, the Hinckley family of Texas as well, and the Bin Laden family of, uh, you know, over there. Great show, guys. Seriously. He's a good documentary. I was able to catch that. And, uh, yeah. Thank you, Chris. That's true. I mean, what are the mathematical chances of of somebody like DeMorne still having all these connections, like bouncing young Jackie Kennedy on his knee and then knowing <laughs> the person that was going to uh, supposedly assassinate. Right. That's just, I, I don't buy any of that. I mean, the connections to the Bush is the Hinckley's like, this yeah. was, something. yeah, I've read this. Yeah, no. And then and, uh, I, I touched on all this and I have a section on George DeMorne tilt and there. I have a lot of great quotes from him and his wife. And uh, yeah, there's a letter that, uh, you know, George, George H.W. Bush touched on that. Uh, where he talked about his relationship. Yeah, I knew this fellow DeMorne. I had a lot of money at one time. I think he said something like that. And uh, yeah, these people, uh, you know, they're, they're all part of the same club. You know, so I guess they run into each other here and there. But yeah, if you look into the backgrounds, you know, I remember the yippies. The yippies were really cool. The hippies, you know, were obviously terrible, like Eric Cartman of the uh, South Park told us. But uh, the hippies kind of ruined things. But the yippies were interesting. The Youth International Party and... Uh, they they did some research. They were the first ones to research the family backgrounds of all the presidents. Now it's you know, everybody is familiar with them all being related to royalty. I mean, it's only like Barack Obama, the first black president. He had a family lineage on his mother's side, just like all the other presidents. And I think they've determined that every president except Martin Van Buren, for some reason, is related in some way. So why Martin Van Buren isn't, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what they claim. And uh, the Yippies were the first ones to, you know, to look into that and say, well, they're all related to each other, they're all third and fourth cousins. And so you have, you have, and I went into that a little bit in Survival of the Riches because so many of them are related to relatives there, the Ben Afflecks and Brad Pitt, they're all related to presidents and they're all, yeah, they, they all, it's, it's the bloodlines thing, really. That's what it comes down to where they're, uh, they're, uh, they're not certainly directly related, but they are connected 
in these strange ways. I, you know, I don't, I, most of us don't have this kind of things in our family tree. Oh, I, I do have to have a disclaimer. I do have a, a, a marital connection to the Rutherford VAs. I think I've talked about that before. Somehow, I don't know. But I, when I was a kid, my, uh, my my parents used to tell me, oh, you know, you know, we're related to Rutherford B. Hayes. And I was like, really? Okay. So, and of course, I already knew. I was already knowing history. It wasn't hidden history then. But I, I knew who Rutherford B. Hayes was at a young age. And I knew all the presidents were. I said, wow, that's cool. And But it wasn't until later when I became an adult and started doing the genealogy on my family tree. Um, I wrote to the Rutherford B. Hayes Library. And I asked them. Of course, they had no information that I had Jeffrey's connection. But I went and... Um, I found documentation for him. And luckily, fortunately, uh, the, the woman that connected to the Rutherford Hayes, her, her name was, her first name was Demova. So that's, a, that's an unusual name. And that really helps when you're trying any kind of research, when you're researching hidden history. And if you can get an unusual name, it makes it a lot easier. Trying to find like Bob Wilson's favorite character, Jack Martin, you know, the JFK. I mean, that's really hard. There's a lot of Jack Martins, but you get a Demova, that's right there. So I was able, I even, and I found a, uh, a picture of her. And uh, my my thesis, Tony, was at the time I said, okay, look, I, and I knew how poor, both my parents' families were poor. That's why I look back and I, I, feel, I, I can confidently say that no no family member of mine ever had a slave. I mean, pretty much guaranteed. You know, because they, they, were, they couldn't afford one. I don't know that they would have, you know, maybe been above taking one, but uh, they certainly couldn't afford to own slaves, but they were very poor. And uh, my dad's family was even poor. And his, he had cousins. Uh, and uh, again, one of these was named Demoba. So I managed to look and I found a picture of her. And my, my thesis was, okay, the only way that Rutherford B. Hayes' family, the president of the United States, is going to run into this dirt poor family from Washington, D.C., is if there's an attractive female involved. Only possible explanation. Only thing, and sure enough, I looked at her, and she was, she was very good looking. But okay, that explains it. So and it's possible, and uh, that's the rest is history, you know. Then uh, her her Demoba's daughter married. She married some big shot New York lawyer, and then her daughter married Rutherford B. Hayes the third. And I actually corresponded with one of the Rutherford B. Hayes the third or fourth or something, and he was he was cordial. And um, so that's my that's my only connection. And I I know we were growing up. I was told that these people, they were, they used to call them the society pages. Back then they had a part of the newspaper that's there. And, you know, my mom would say, you know, your dad's family, there's just people in the society pages. We never met them. They won't talk to us. And of course they didn't. <laughs> so, but those are the class distinctions I'm talking about, Tony, that even something like that, we were cousins with them, but they literally never met them in their entire lives because they were running in different worlds. And uh, that's why, you know, when George DeMore until he was basically in that society pages column. Lee Harvey Oswald was below us, you know, minimum wage at a book depository. And not to mention having this uh, baggage of being a traitor, you know, during, I mean, God, he defected to the Soviet Union at the height of the Cold War. And he comes back and he's not even debriefed by the CIA or anything. I mean, literally, no, no, they, and uh, Marina's, I think, uncle was a uh, 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 official in the KGB and they're not interested. They had no interest at all when they came back. So uh, very strange. There's a lot of connections there that uh, that I never tire of exploring. But that's why I still cringe, you know, when I still when I see uh, the Tom Hanks's of the world and that's why I can never I can't watch anything rationally with Tom Hanks. He's he's a, a vocal lone nutter. 
he wanted to uh, make a miniseries about uh, Vincent Bugliozzi's uh, magnus opus, you know, that, uh, that was a rewrite of the uh, Warren Commission. Um, what is it? History? Oh, God, I can't believe it. And then it called Case Closed or something like that? No, no case, case, case Closed was Posner, Gerald Posner, but his was uh, History. Uh, I can't remember. Something with history. Maybe somebody in the room uh, can tell me, but uh, I've certainly never read it. I, I heard most people had to use it as a book stop, you know, but because uh, it was huge, but it was just full. Bugliozzi was, uh, this guy was a piece of work because he actually did a lot of good work on the RFK assassination for some reason. But he, you know, he always believed Oswald did it. And uh, he, he, I read his book on the, the OJ trial. And he actually was a good, he had a lot of valid criticism of Marsha Clark and how horrible and inept the prosecution was and how Judge Ito should have recused himself because he, uh, he exposed how uh, Ito had a, uh, Ito's wife was a, a police official who had clashed really, I mean, violently with Mark Furman. So he should have recused himself on that grounds a lot. The media never talked about it. So it was good. But near the end of the book, Bugliozzi has a chapter on uh, why he's an atheist. Now, yeah, what that had to do with it. Reclaiming history. Reclaiming well, history. Yeah. I, I knew somebody would know. Probably Chris Graves. Right? I pulled it up. But I, I, I heard, I'd heard him interviewed about it. And um, you learn a lot about uh, Bugliosi from Tom yeah. O'Neill's book, Chaos. Yeah, I highly recommend it. the the book Chaos by Tom O'Neill. It goes into the his, the hidden history of the of the '60s and yeah. the CIA's program uh, MK Ultra and touches on the Hate Ashbury Clinic where they treated uh, Charles Manson and his followers yeah. in the Summer of Love. And there's a lot of connections there. And Bugliosi's prosecution of Manson, uh, yeah. the Helter Skelter prosecution, uh, is just so flawed. And there was like oh. a sheriff's department not moving in like how how manson was able to just avoid being um arrested for violating parole multiple times they had this yeah. uh, i mean it's, it's it's a fascinating deal and he and he he made bugliosi like he enraged him like confronting him and he'd found yeah. documents and it's just it's really good really good bugliosi book. had a violent temper and uh oh tom o'neill has been recommended my friend bob Carnes keeps talking i gotta try to get him on the show uh, yeah, because uh, then uh, that would make Bob Carnes happy. I know if I did that, but yeah, I, I have to. It, I would definitely would like to talk to him. But uh, Bugliosi, it just that idea that he devoted a chapter near the end of the book where he just talks about it really his hatred for God, and uh, it's it had nothing. I mean, regardless of what you think about that, it had nothing to do with the book. It's so out of place, but you can tell this guy was out of control that he had to put this grudge he had against God in the middle of an OJ book. It's like, uh, so if you look at it, the book is actually pretty good. Other than that, but I just remember being disturbed by it. It's like, mainly because I am a believer, but still I thought, why, why is this in this book? I don't, and, but I thought, what does this say about Bugliotti? And I've heard other things about him, that he was uh, unbalanced to some degree, but he, that reads like that. Because it's like he couldn't help himself and why the publisher allowed that maybe they thought Bugliosi was big enough name okay well we have to let him have his way but i mean come on that's nothing to do with the subject matter but uh it, um just one of those little uh asides by Bugliosi and, and Bugliosi goes back to uh if you watch um 
during the uh, the trailer for uh, Max Good's film, The Assassination of Mrs. Payne, they showed a clip of Ruth Payne testifying during the, uh, the called the trial of Lee Harvey Oswald. It's a 1986 production. Uh, originally, I think it was in Camp, uh, England. And I remember watching it at the time. And because uh, it used real witnesses like Ruth Payne. And it was supposed to have a, uh, a real trial of Oswald, which of course he never got. And Bugliosi was a prosecutor. The defense attorney was this idiot, Jerry Spence, who was supposedly some kind of, I mean, he was this kind of bumbling, kind of, he used to wear a cowboy hat and uh, he used to be on TV a lot. I think he's still alive. Talking here, but he was so ill prepared that he kept, he referred to Officer J.D. Tippett over and over again as Tibbets. Officer Tibbets. And, and so that's the kind of preparation he went for it. But so he did nearly the, would seemingly be the impossible, unsuccessfully defend Lee Harvey Oswald. And of course, he concentrated. He was constantly holding up a picture of Oswald and saying, I mean, it was such an obvious joke. And I don't know if you remember at that time, uh, this was obviously before, you know, well before the internet. And uh, it, at that time, call in, they, they used to have this on a lot of shows where they would have call in with your vote, you know, for whatever thing they were trying to say, vote on something. So they said, vote, you know, vote the verdict. Do you think he's guilty, not guilty? And, uh, and then you had people like Alan Dershowitz, even back then was pushing disinfo. Um, Edwin Newman, I think, of NBC. And uh, he might have been the host, I think. And uh, But they had a couple other talking heads. And, of course, nobody on the conspiracy side, not one person. So And so they're given the experts are given their opinion after the trial. We're you know, breathlessly awaiting the jury's verdict. And I'm sitting at home like, wow, gosh, I wonder what the verdict will be. It's, it's nationally televised. Huh, I wonder. So, and, and of course, the experts are priming you for it because you just, even as bad a job as, as Spence did, you can't look at, at the evidence in any kind of way and not realize, wow, this is, Oswald didn't do it. This is, it has to be a conspiracy. But the experts, all oh, the evidence is overwhelming on, uh, you know, on Bugliosi's side, the prosecution. So, but then they, uh, they said, well, let's see what the results of the online poll were. And it was something like 90% not guilty. Of course, you know, that's what you'd be. So, you, if you, and this was all live. It was live, and you could see Edwin Newman's face, like, and you could tell it was like, uh, well, uh, uh, keep in mind before the jury comes back, uh, he saw other evidence which you, the viewers didn't. I'm saying, oh, I wonder if the, the, their, their verdict's going to clash with it. So of course they come back and he's guilty. And so Edwin Newman comes back real quickly and wraps it up, and saying, well, uh, well. Uh, well, there you have it. You know, the, guilty, the jury finds the uh, Lee Harvey Oswald guilty, but considering that 90% of the viewers found him not guilty, I guess the controversy continues. And they just quickly signed off the air. They rebroadcast it probably a year later or so with the wonderful Geraldo Rivera on hand. So you know, you know where, where it was coming from with Geraldo Rivera hosting it. And of course, he sensationalized it and tabloidized it up. But when they, they had an online, they had a, a live vote too again. But they learned something from the last time. So now they had three choices. One was not guilty. One was guilty. One was guilty as part of a conspiracy. So, and they learned. So, of course, guilty as part of a conspiracy won. And so they they got they, so they got a little better result than they wanted. You know, and Geraldo, of course, and Geraldo, of course, is the first guy to air the Zapruder film. Uh, live on uh, Good Night America with uh, Richard Grodin and Dick Gregory, and uh, back in 1975, and that was people don't realize that was the 12 years for 12 years. Time Life 
absolutely suppressed uh, some of the most important footage that was ever been taken. And uh, you know, this is a media organization, and they uh, paid Zapruder a lot of money. Got to call. And then they, uh, okay, yes. Call you on the air with Don Jeffries. Go ahead, gentlemen. Gentlemen, good evening. It's Vince. Vince, oh. how are you? <laughs> I'm doing well, thank you. Doing well. I had to step out for a little while while I was watching Max's interview. But I wanted to ask the both of you gentlemen, and looking at everything, especially whatever Don has gone and covered on the JFK assassination, your gut feeling. Do we think that this is really from a Bilderberg type of group? Or do you think it might be just from one government? Uh, I'll let Don take that first. Um, yeah, I, uh, you know, and Vince, I love you. I know you hope you can hear me now, but uh, Vince, I was talking about Buell Frazier being uh, one of the nicest uh, people. I've, uh, Vince is one of the nicest people. Uh, Tony, you're a great, nice guy too, but I haven't met you in person. Vince is one of the nicest guys I've ever met in person. He's just his, uh, he's got, you know, he's a little younger than me. He's got this uh, genteel um, civility, manners that you don't see much anymore. Certainly don't see it from my generation, not to mention the younger people, but just such a nice guy. So I, I'm very uh, happy to be his friend. But, um, you know, I don't like to speculate. I think I think if you watch JFK Oliver Stone's film, I think he got it essentially right. I think that I think these decisions like that, especially as, as momentous as that, they have to be approved at the highest levels. That's why when people say LBJ, I think LBJ knew and approved of it. I was happy to be. I mean, he was ecstatic, he, and that was you know he couldn't hide the smile on his face. I mean, he was just, he was ready. He did, and you know, one of the anecdotes I'll have in Industry Three is that you know when Bobby Kennedy was shot. You have evidence of people saying he was walking, pacing around the White House, calling constantly the hospital saying, is he dead? Is he dead yet? And that's how much he wanted RFK to die. This is just a horrible human being, Lyndon Johnson was. But so he wanted it to happen. And he, he was ecstatic. And he could he would have fired the gun himself if he could have. But um, he, he wasn't level to make those kind of decisions. So I think that uh, if what do you want to call them? The Illuminati, whatever it is at the top that we don't see, I think they they make these plans and maybe they filter them down through research. So I, I think it probably went through uh, Alan Dulles and some other people at the CIA and uh, maybe uh, uh, Jim Garrison, for instance, uh, he thought Avril Harriman was the main orchestrator of the assassination, a blue bud guy who was trying to subvert our policy in Vietnam. Uh, I think that General Curtis LeMay and other people in the Pentagon were heavily involved. So I think there's, there's like a tacit approval it filters down from these unseen masters. And I think the actual conspiracy probably was at, at high levels of the CIA and the Pentagon, I believe. And But I would not rule out Israeli involvement either because, you know, one, one of the things Michael Collins Piper, who uh, denigrated by it, if any of you research, JFK researchers are still watching, which on the unlikely event you are, <laughs> um, you, you know, you blasted this guy. Michael Collins Piper died way too young a heart ailment. And uh, his book, Final Judgment, is a really interesting book because it was the first book to talk about the, and he exposed the fact that JFK was having a war behind the scenes with uh, David Ben-Gurion, the first president of Israel. I mean, they were exchanging really angry letters back and forth because JFK did not, he did not like this developing nuclear program that Israel at that time. And he, you know, he wanted them to, to back off and you know, they weren't going to. 
was the only one that wanted to back off. Because again, Lynn Johnson, as soon as he got in there, man, it was what I mean. He, this is the guy that covered up the Liberty when Israel attacked and killed the thirty some members of the of the, of the, of the uh, Navy uh, in 1967, and that was covered up for decades. Uh, Johnson, you know, covered it up completely. So he was about as Israeli first as they come. JFK was, uh, he was more even-handed and he understood that uh, we couldn't have this one-sided foreign policy. So I, I wouldn't rule that out that they were there, but there are tons of suspects. Um, I, I think, you know, they may have used mafia people maybe for some of the shooters. I don't know. But I think that this, this was a high level. And, and you want you to just look at the, what, what other, one thing I focus on a lot that's the secret service. One of the, one of the researchers I admire a lot is Vince Palomera, Palomera and uh, he wrote Survivor's Guilt, which is a great book about the secret service. He interviewed all these guys. Read it if you can. And uh, I'll have a lot more about the secret service in this book, but they made it possible. And for some reason, a lot of researchers don't want to name the secret service. But this, to me, you know, they, they all got drunk the night before in violation of all the protocol. They broke all the rules. They tried to lie about it. We have testimonial. I have it in the book too from years later from the bar owner that said the government called me and the White House called me and tried to pressure us to say they weren't drinking. We know they were trying to cover it. They violate all procedures. Uh, we have that film of, I still believe Vince disagrees with me on that, but I believe it was Henry Ripka, who uh, uh, William Law, a friend of mine, another great researcher, talked to uh, his uh, son. Uh, back in history, and you I have that interesting conversation recounted in the book that we're the first ones to talk to his family because he died way too young, like a lot of these guys. And uh, he, you can see, he's the guy that's shrugging at the airport, like when he's pulled off the, you know, he's pulled away from the limousines, like, you know, you know, fuck, what's going on? You know, you can see him like shrugging. What are you doing? And uh, it's very obvious that he didn't know, and he's being pulled. The security's being pulled. You can look at other motorcades as Vince has shown. Uh, much the, the the motorcycles are much tighter towards the car. They're right there, like right next to the wheels. They were told on every 22nd to drop back. See, there's a gap there. They're not, they might be behind them, but the, the other ones, though, and they usually had uh, at least one agent, usually two, one on either side, jogging alongside the car. You didn't have that here. A lot of times you had one on the bumper. And of course, uh, Clint Hill, who still survives, and uh, he's producing one piece of disinformation after another uh, about the assassination, trying to justify it. Um, he is one of many. Basically, they infer that JFK was responsible for his own death because he kept the agents off the limousine when all the agents told Vince Palomar that case that he never interfered with their work. So Secret Service were involved. They let, so they, they got drunk the night before. They allowed it to happen. They didn't react at all to six seconds worth of gunfire. They didn't move at all. Clint Hill ran after the headshot. Nothing. So they were, didn't respond to the sound of gunfire. The limo driver slowed or stopped the limousine and turned around and watched his head get blown off again. This is so in a real investigation, the first people you would have grilled would have been the Secret Service. You know, what are you doing? And you would play the Zapruder film or the Babushka Lady film, you know, the, the, the better quality film that's never been found. You know, they somebody confiscated and nobody still even knows for sure who she was. They were taking the film, you know, across the street from Zapruder. But you would have you would have uh, you would have grilled uh, Bill Greer, who is the driver. You would have grilled uh, Roy Kellerman, who was in charge and, and was sitting next to him. And his job was to jump over and and, and spread and jump spread eagle over Kennedy. He could have saved his life. And you would have grilled 
the agents in the follow-up car, including Emery Roberts, who was in charge that day. And there's testimony that Emery Roberts tried to stop one of the agents who actually, it's John Reddy, who actually tried to do his job and started to go for the car and he, he ordered him back. So that's what a real investigation would have done. You would have said, you know, what, what is all this? Thing? Why were you out drinking the night before? Why, why didn't you react in six seconds? And Senator Ralph Yarborough, who was uh, who your friend that you ran against Congress, probably knew him. I'm sure if he knew Connolly. Yarborough and Connolly were feuding that day. But uh, Yarborough was great. I mean, he had, you know, all kinds of testimony. He said, look, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. But Secret Service agents ought to be trained to react to the sound of gunfire. And uh, so for some reason, a lot of people are just reluctant to criticize them. But so I would have started, I think you'd start any investigation with the Secret Service. You let it happen. Of course, they're all dead except for Cornell now, but fortunately, there was. So I think when you have that kind of involvement, that leaves out, you know, lower level people, at least at the mafia. And certainly when you see what happened with the, with the media. This was the first time where you saw, because uh, they, they claimed television, news journalism came to life with the JFK assassination. 24-hour coverage and all that and stuff that you never, you know, Dan Rather was a local Dallas reporter who lied his ass off and, and, and became promoted, obviously, for it. But that's when we first saw how they could, okay, of course, I'm seven years old, but I can see looking back on a retrospect as well, they're not, they're not asking the questions. They're not, they're not even doubting for a second. They're just accepting everything the authorities are telling them, accepting the FBI. And we have a document I published in Hidden History that was an agreement by NBC News. And keep in mind, back then you had ABC, NBC, and CBS, three networks. did pretty much all the work, uh, all the coverage. You had your choice between three networks. Uh, NBC signed an agreement that not to broadcast any information that conflicted with the FBI's report. So they agreed to it. And so right then they say, we're not going to investigate anything. So that's what you got. And that's why you had so many, you know, early accounts of the Secret Service agent being killed, a pool of blood being found by the pergola there. Uh, you know, you see all the footage of everybody running towards the grassy knoll and they claimed it came from behind them. But why was everybody running to the grassy knoll? <laughs> Nothing was going on there. So the uh, the footage count contradicts the story right there. So, yeah, I think it's... Um, I think it was, again, Oliver Stone kind of talked about it. it's something in the wind. People depending on the CIA. J. Edgar Hooper at the FBI, he hated Kennedy. You know, he, he would have been on board with it. Uh, a lot of the oil men, Texas hated him. He had, had tons of The mafia hated him. He, was, he had so many enemies. And Bobby Kennedy probably had more enemies. So I don't think any of these, if, if somebody told him, hey, you know what, we're going to hit the president. I doubt if any of those forces would have said, ah. Oh, you can't do that. They will probably say, yeah, right on. You know, every one of them. And, you know, you've probably heard it yourself that in the people that were living in Texas back then, they talk about some of the people that were in school that uh, half the children cheered when they announced we came on. And then maybe some of the teachers did too. They, you know, they thought JFK was a commie. And uh, so it was different times. But uh, anyway, it's kind of a long, convoluted answer to it, Vince, but uh, Vince Agnelli. But I would... Uh, I, I think it's, you know, I, I start from the point of it wasn't Oswald. Okay, so we know it wasn't Oswald. You proved it, it couldn't have been Oswald. But you didn't mean to, but you did. And all your tests trying to show he did it showed that he couldn't have done it. So we know it wasn't him. And you expended a lot of effort trying to say it was him. So then we have to figure out, okay, why are you trying to say this guy did it so badly when he obviously didn't? 
So then you look at, uh, okay, then you come up with Garrison and people like that, that scenario, the ground level conspirators, and were they all being, uh, were they all reporting on each other unbeknownst uh, or what? But uh, there's, there's, there's a lot there. You know, and, and again, Hidden History 3 will have a lot of that, including Secret Service agent that died before the assassination. Another one that was, uh, remember the honor guard that died, died very suspiciously. A lot of strange deaths took place right then. And so, you know, were, were these people in, in the know? I mean, there, there have been rumors that, uh, that a practice funeral was being held under the orders of uh, Robert McNamara, Secretary of Defense. I, you know, there's nothing concrete about that, but a lot of stuff was going on. And uh, it's this was a huge conspiracy. That's why you know, you'll never find me on the part of this. Well, it's a benign conspiracy, and the cover-up was different from the conspiracy. No, I mean, this was, these were very powerful forces. They killed Kennedy, and uh, they're still covering it up to this day. And you can see it's, it's probably the reaction that Max Good will have to the assassination of Mrs. Payne. It, it all of it comes from that. You know, as he mentioned, if you heard him, he said, you know, any kind of talk of conspiracy, even though he's clearly he's not really. Really not like in my league about being down the rabbit holes, I don't think, but just the fact that he's putting out this and he's kind of showing Ruth Payne and as she is, that people are, uh, that's enough to say, you know, what are you saying? You know, that they, it, it's wrong. Just putting it out there, showing the record and this woman is still alive and she was around, Lee and Marina Oswald. So I think it's, um, it's important to, you know, if we don't forget it, and that's why I can't. I can't let go of it. It's like a, um, like a beloved old friend or something. You know, it's like I, I, uh, I, I used to watch. You know, Kennedy's, and my wife thought I was nuts because I, I would, I would watch these JFK assassination special specials that I had on VHS tape. I watched them late at night and fall asleep to them. It's like, how do you fall asleep to that? And I, I know it's like it's, I know it so well. It's like comforting, you know. It's I, I know it so well, but it's uh, anyway. Sorry, Vince, for such a long-winded answer, and I, I, I'm happy you're listening. Absolutely, um, you got about uh, four minutes left on. Oh, uh, this was kind of a JFK assassination-related show, wasn't it? But and so many crazy things. We'll talk about more of this, you know, tomorrow on uh, America Unplugged. But guys, uh, I think was it last? Did we get to talk about Cassidy Hutchinson last week? We did, didn't we? Did we talk about that? Yes. We're going to have Charlie okay. Robinson on tomorrow. Billy's out of town, so I'll be hosting. Okay. And we'll, have, uh, we'll have Charlie. He'll step in for Billy. Okay. Okay. We'll, uh, we'll talk. I mean, there's lot, you know, obviously lots to to talk about, uh, you know, with the, with the, the, the J6 stuff and the the Georgia guys. Yeah, the Georgia guys. How about that? Man, that's, uh, I, you know, I, I'm confused about that because I never did understand, you know, when they, they didn't come at, they appeared like in 1980 or 83 or something like that, right? Yeah, the 80s. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So um, I, I don't, but it's nobody seems to know how they got there. I mean, did, didn't they could that couldn't have been built real quickly? I mean, it oh, didn't. It took months. It took months. Yeah. Uh, so how, how did how did they not know who was building it? That was the agreement between this guy that called himself RC Christian and. Um, and the guy that they found up, you know, an honest businessman, who, the granite, the guy that, that made the granite stones and um, that you know, from the quarry. And they just he just kept his word and he said, I won't disclose who you are. And, 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 you know, you have to tell me this is for good purposes. And of course, if you read if you read mm. the 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 ten, the command, the commandments on there, the the edicts about <laughs> keeping the population yeah. under 500 million in perpetuity and 
right, uh, right. having a world court and uh, I mean, just all, all this stuff. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a depopulation agenda. Um, yeah. but yeah, and it, nobody's, and that's really, I talked about on my show today that no one has ever really figured it out, uh, who that was. And then you talk about how, you know, $500,000 in 1979, uh, that's a chunk of change, you know? Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Interest, interesting history. And, um, yeah, well, maybe we'll talk a little bit about it, uh, tomorrow with, with Charlie Robinson. I'd love to get his take on that. Yeah. Will we ever find out? I mean, I, I don't imagine we'll ever find out. I'm sure all the security cameras are around, I guess. <laughs> Somebody they probably failed to catch. They are uh, the same day. It's just kind of like what we do with crime scenes now in America, you know. It's, yeah. It's, 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 crime scene well, is it. I hear they're I hear they're going to tear down Uvalde. Uh, you know, this whole thing. it's like it's uh, it's amazing. And they yeah, they just get rid of these things. And all they have to do is play on the emotions and say, well, you know, it's a painful reminder. Yes, that's true. I understand now. You know, so we, we may, we'll never be able to investigate it further. But uh, but again, it goes back to JFK assassination. You know, they cleaned out the limousine. You know, they destroyed the crime scene there. So they're they've been destroying crime scenes for a lot. I think we talked about that on David Knight. But uh, yeah, you, no, we will have a lot. I think you covered that Vince's question really well. I would just add this. You know, back in the early '90s and during the Gulf War, Pat Buchanan got in trouble. It's like a different America, but he got in trouble for. Uh, for saying that uh, the Amen Corner at APAC yes. was was, uh, yes. was driving this the the uh, you know America into the war yeah. the Middle East the Desert Storm and he got in, and that was a different America that was just all he said was there's an Amen Corner at APAC yeah yeah uh, I think that there was an Amen Corner across the board in many different directions with uh, in regards to the assassination of JFK I think that it was carried out by individuals in the military industrial complex and intelligence but i think there it had to be checked off by other powers that be and there was many you talk about the israeli government and, and him being mad at them with the nukes but go back to the american university speech i think it was june of, yes. of 1963 you don't yes, find yes. that kind of language anymore you know talking about no, genuine never. peace and, uh, we all breathe the same air you know we, yeah. we all uh uh cherish our children's future and we're all mortal yeah. you know you know yeah. reaching out to khrushchev uh, after the Cuban Missile Crisis and uh, the the nuclear test ban treaty, uh, the upper atmospheric uh, testing of, of uh, nuclear yes. weapons, uh, absolutely you know, having the trading the Jupiter missiles in Turkey uh, for the missiles in Cuba. Uh, yep. I mean, you, it go it goes on and on. And then you know, Jim Mars, uh, and I know how you feel about Lincoln, but Jim <laughs> Jim Mars made the point that the only two presidents in history ever created um, uh, interest free. Yes, greenbacks and silverbacks. Yeah, yep. Right, that was silverbacks. Uh, that you know, from JFK and yeah. Lincoln, and they were both shot in the head in public because he took it out yeah. of the hands of the central ba of the bank and um, yeah. of the banker. So uh, I just think you know, it's it's overwhelming that that, that it it's not the the official narrative is bogus. It's garbage. Um, you know, there's just there's too many moving parts and to to point towards conspiracy. And then the witnesses that disappear or die. I mean, it's just, it's just too, it's too much. I mean, it, yeah, it's, it, no, it's, it's, it's why when somebody even entertains the idea that Lee Harvey Oswald killed JFK, I, you know, again, I have tremendous tolerance. I'm not going to censor them and you all have your right to your opinion, but I, I can't, I can't debate that. I mean, you know, I've, I've been debating that since the seventies and I think it's, you know, if, if you don't know by now that Lee Harvey Oswald didn't kill JFK, you haven't studied the evidence. As, uh, as, as Penn Jones, one of my favorites, used to say, he said, the only way to believe the Warren Report is not to read it. 
So I think that's <laughs> the only way to believe that JFK, that, that Lee Harvey Oswald killed JFK is not to study the evidence. It looks like we're running out of time. But I, I, uh, I appreciate it. I'm sorry, I'm sorry to everybody. I was trying to go to the Rockman chat room. Well, hopefully we'll get these things cleared up. I have a faster connection, but apparently if I open up another window to go to the Rockman chat, I have to keep this open. Uh, then it, it knocked me off for a second. So I said, well, I, let me do it last week. But uh, whatever reason, we'll have to try to figure something out because I like to be able to respond to people. So I, I thank you, for Riley. And if I missed any other tips, thanks. I appreciate everybody listening and certainly uh, my friends like uh, Chris Graves and Vince Agnelli calling in. So thanks, everybody. And thanks to Tony. He's always doing a great job. And uh, we'll see you next week, same time on I Protest. Thank you.